All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we start here, um, and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Our dearly Father, we thank you for this day, O oh Lord, for this time together. Lord, we know that uh, by your word you bring us to repentance, but also to rescue. Bless us, O oh Lord, in your word as we humbly submit to what your word says. Lord, may we rest in your promises, knowing that though we fall short, you bring us the redemption, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. 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 So uh, hopefully everyone's doing well tonight, other than Carrie's dog. But um, I hope he or she is doing okay right now. That's always a bummer. I know when dogs barf, their whole bodies like convulse. I remember my dog, my Malamute, he would like, he would like, his whole body would like convulse. And I'm like, what's happening? And he was just hurling all over the carpet. I remember that when I was little. But uh yeah, that's no fun. I pray that he's okay. Um, okay, uh, Jonah chapter 3. Now, what did we... Remembering last week, uh, Marjorie has entered this meeting. Oh, she's doing the double take in the morning and night. All right. Uh, let's see. All right. Marjorie? Maybe? Okay. Well, Marjorie's here, too. Evening, Marjorie. All right. Well, uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we continue here uh, with our text from Jonah chapter 3. Now, when we talk about the beginning of chapter 3, of which we studied last week, uh, we very well know that Jonah was to the second call, that is, to arise and go to the great city. The Lord calls him or tells him, commands him in verse 1 to call out, or verse 2, call out against it the message that I tell you. Again, the theme of Jonah, a lot of it is about the call, right? Uh, the Lord calling Jonah in chapter 1 to go to Nineveh, he runs away. The sailors calling out to their false gods and then calling out to the true Lord. It's that call to faith, right? Um, and uh, now we see uh, Jonah being swallowed up by a whale in chapter 2. And, and there he is calling upon the name of the Lord. Again, why do we call upon the Lord? Because we indeed cannot do it ourselves, right? It, it's that moment of, I can no longer be the, the, the little God in my life that can control everything. I humbly submit and am convicted in my heart, very well knowing that I need the Lord's help, that I cast all my anxieties upon the Lord, as it reads in First Peter 5, I think, uh, 6 to 7, 7 to 8, something like that, but that we, we depend on the Lord. We, we call upon him because he is our father, right? And I, I think this is an important theme, and the Lord also commands Jonah to do that very thing again in chapter 3, to call out against uh, the, the great city of Nineveh. Uh, so, so we see in the beginning, uh, so Jonah rose and went, and there he gave his short homily, his sermon, um, and he says in very short order, verse 4, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Gan Forty we talked about, time of preparation, time of testing, uh, time of uh, definitely, uh, yeah, time of preparation, uh, as we talked about all the 40s in the Bible. But uh, verse 5, I think we talked about that even last week, that the people of Nineveh believed God all by that very word. And we know that because what did they do? They were cut to the heart. What does it say in verse 5? They called for a fast. They called. Again, why do they call for a fast? Because they are, uh, they are, they are uh, uh, showing, yeah, the, the, they're, they're, thank you, Chris. Chris is giving me my words that I'm trying to think of. Uh, we, I think I've seen Chris. Um, and Jeff, more than my own family, I think these past weeks, they're like my other family in a sense of we're always hanging out doing services together. Anyways, um, so we're starting to kind of blend words and beings, but uh, um, which is great. I love, I love Jeff and, and, uh, and, and Chris. They're just great. Um, but, but they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth. Like now again, what is this sign of? A sign of repentance, right? convicted of their sin, knowing of their paganism and all they had done before, who put on the sackcloth? What does it say right there in verse 5? Who put it on? All of them, from the least to the greatest. Uh, no, you know, we know what the Lord says, right? About the greatest and the least. At least what Jesus says. What does he say in the New Testament? He says, those who are greatest will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. That's right, Don. Very good. And those who are least will be the, or those who are humbled will be exalted, exalted, humbled, right? First, last, last, first. So, so, but right here, we see how this word really got to everyone, right? Everyone. Now, what is so difficult for you know, when we talk about the least of these, you know, I, I think it makes me think of the, the Beatitudes, right? The blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or blessed are the meek, right? Or blessed are those who hunger and thirst. These are all lowly, uh, humble, cut to the heart, we need Christ type people. But the greatest of them, uh, what are these people like? Now, I guess we'll... Think of that in verse, someone could read verse 6 for me. Verse 6. Okay. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a sight to be seen. I can't imagine being part of uh, Nineveh and seeing the king do this very thing. Now, kings, what do they usually what you what do they usually do? Kings, in this situation, we we saw it in. Uh, I know Pharaoh. Uh, he kind of learned that lesson by not taking Sarah for a wife in Genesis twelve. But but I think a lot of examples of kings, as we talked about in Joshua, they would do what? They wouldn't relent, right? They would try to fight against the Lord. Now, this king did what? He did the exact opposite, and he was with the people 
um, in sackcloth, sitting in ashes. Again, the sackcloth is, uh, as we know, is a uh, a picture of lowliness, of poverty, one of great humility and mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, of their sin. And they sat in ashes, and we're talking about Ash Wednesday and how we do the ashes, uh, a similar call, that mark of repentance, convicted and cut to the heart. So I guess uh, as we talked about this morning, I thought it was a good uh, uh, discussion. It says right there, what reached the king of Nineveh? What? reached the king of Nineveh? The word. The word. Now, um, I know we preached on that just right now um, in our sermon, uh, but uh, what is it about the word that, that brought this king of Nineveh to his, to his knees? Like, what, what, what is it about this word? Uh, and I, I think that's, we talk about it tonight with Peter's sermon in the book of Acts. Now, what does the word do? I think, why is the word so important in the context of conversion? What do you think about that? What is so important about the word? Now, when we say word, I know people toss around that phrase, word of God, right? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about here? When people just say, oh, yeah, the Word of God. but And, and you ask people, like, what does that really mean? And, uh, and I think in this, in this context, it's important to look at this very word and that call to repentance, that there the Word uh, is so important in that context of, of conversion, right? And... Uh, when we talk about conversion, like St. Paul converted on the Damascus Road, or, or Peter's sermon, again, for the 3,000 Jews uh, that were saved that day, or even the king of Nineveh right here, uh, when we talk about the word, and also uh, when we talk about repentance, uh, why is repentance so important? Now, I guess, I guess the question is, what is repentance? Uh, what is repentance? Just turning away from sin. Turning okay, away from all right. you're doing that's against God's will. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Okay. <laughs> that's that's being, great. Being sorry, being, being sorry to your core. Yeah, the sorrow for our sins in front of God. Now, it's easy to say, the world will say it, right, Cecily, Dave, and everyone, oh, you know, I, I probably did a bad thing there, and it's my, it's my wrong. But a lot of times, people don't bring up the S word, do they? They don't bring up sin. Do they? It's just like, oh, it's kind of a platitude wrongdoing rather than a, a, a direct defiance against God. I don't think everyone ever really goes that deep into it. But when we talk about repentance, uh, there are two parts to it. Uh, according to the catechism, it is contrition and faith. 
right? So when we're talking about repentance, that, as Cecily was saying, that turn, right? Uh, that turn to the Lord in the midst of our sin. And that is out of faith. Like, we are cut to the heart, not just on a little abrasion on our skin, but we're, we're really cut to the deepest marrow of our uh, Hebrews 4.12, right? Uh, uh, the word is like a double-edged sword, sharper, right, than any double-edged sword, and it, it hits deepest to the marrow of the, the bone. And, and we very well know that's what the word does, and it brings us to repentance. Now, contrition and faith are the two parts to repentance. Now, contrition is sorrow for sin, not just wallowing in our own self-guilt, but even more so our sorrow as we sin against God, right? Every sin we have always goes through the first commandment, that we fail to fear, love, and trust God above all things. Every other sin goes through that doorway, right? So when we talk about sin, I don't know if you ever think about it, and I think as humans we kind of dismiss it quickly, but it is, in a, it is in direct defiance of God, right? And when we think of it in that nature and the word, right? Uh, you know, we talk, I know Nancy, uh, Don, uh, your, your wife brought up some very poignant points <laughs> this morning. So um, you could tell her that or not. But uh, <laughs> there were some great points there about what people need to hear, right? I think when we talk about the word, uh, what words are out there when it comes to uh, churches and the word? What, what, what have you heard in your lifetime, whether it be uh, at a different church you've been to in your past? I mean, what, what word was that centered on? Um, can anyone give me a little picture of that? Any uh, word or description of what that could be? What word was given to you? What do you remember uh, the word that was preached or emphasized? Go, Carrie. Yeah. I remember a big sign that said, God is love. Okay. I remember fear is false evidence appearing real. I don't think that's from the Bible, though. Um, we all we welcome you as you are. Come as you are. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. We we definitely. Um, all right. Um, now, I guess my question. I know I'm always asking questions because I want a certain answer. You know how I am. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, I know Nancy brought up a gamut of uh, things like uh, you know when it comes to church, when it comes to the word. Uh, there is no confession of sins. Uh, or who was this? Was this, or this was Mary Woodleaf, actually. Mary Woodleaf said this part, I think. There, there was no confession of sins, uh, that it was all about mission-mindedness on how we can help missionaries. And again, that, that's good that we need to help missionaries when we talk about preaching the word, right? Or a feel-good message, a feel-good message. So not going there. Does that make sense? Like, never going there because people don't want to hear it. Uh, or, or as Marjorie said in the morning, I'm okay, you're okay. Does that make sense? Like, the I'm okay, you're okay message, uh, what's good for you is what's good for me. Is that the idiom? Is that what it means? 
kind of like, let's just play nice. Uh, but when we talk about the word, you guys, um, so important it is to know what we need to hear. I think Mary brought it up greatly in the morning that, you know, Mary, you said God is love, right? Um, a lot of churches use that as a pivot point, as a legalistic mandate to love one another. Does that make sense? Like it becomes a how to be a better Christian in these certain ways and apply that message to be uh, that better Christian um, in your life. And they use God as love as that starting point. Now, for us, God is love is we know it is the gospel and it stays there, right? Like we're not using it as a, a pivot point to get to a greater, a greater message, right? That the word is love and that is Christ, the cross, the crucifixion, the empty tomb, the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. And I think when, when it comes to the word, uh, so important when we talk about the Ninevites here, about repentance, that there, there is that sorrow for sin in contrition and faith, right? Faith, which trusts in the word of God for what it says that we are forgiven of our sins, right? So faith rests on the work of God at the cross and empty tomb. So we have the sorrow for sin, for sorrow for sin. we repent, we confess, and I think Nancy said in the morning, uh, I think uh, a lot of times people don't want to hear this message because they just don't want to hear about sin, the gross stuff, right? They don't want to hear it. And uh, what she said was, little do they know of what comes next, and that is Jesus, right? The gospel, the absolution, the forgiveness of sins. And that is where our faith remains and abides in that very word of Christ. So when we talk about the, the conversion of the king of Nineveh, it is the entrusting to the power of God's word. What does the word say? And there we rest in this promise, right? Uh, I think that's the very important thrust of that verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. By that very word, these things were done out of faith given to him, right? If he, was, if he was obstinate in the faith, there's no sackcloth and ashes. There's a puffed out chest, and no, no one's going to tell me what to do because I'm king, right? Uh, rather, he, he repents. This is a great, a great sight uh, because, well, I guess it proves that the word of God does work. Do you believe that? The word of God does work. His power through that very word actually converts. And we continue to give that message to those that need to hear it. Okay? So uh, we see right here uh, clearly that by the word, these things are happening. That's why the word is so important in each and every one of our lives. We see how the Lord leads us by that very word. Uh, because I know, huh, especially in this time when we're all separated, it's easy to, to kind of settle into our own ways, our own, you know, kind of 
I don't know what it's called, our own patterns, you know, it's so easy in our flesh to do that. Um, but it's by that very word that we are enlivened and restored and comforted um, and even called to repentance. But at the end of the day, what does repentance always leave us to? It always leaves us to, yes, our Sunday school answer of the day and forevermore, Jesus, right? Like that is the Christian life. It's, it's in that repentance, it always leads us to the green pastures of the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That's why we, uh, we always say the, the Christian life is a penitent life. The, the Christian life is of repentance because it's not, it's not you, but it's Christ for you. And there we always end on Jesus. Because when we do take our last breath, it'll always be Jesus, right? And that's our comfort in his word. So here we see, uh, as we go back to um, uh, verse 6 here, uh, we see that the word reached out to the king of Nineveh, and here, um, here we see in chapter, uh, verse 7 and 8. If someone could read that for me. 7 and 8. I could do that. Thank you. He issued a proclamation, and it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. All right, so what is, I wrote this question down on my notes, but what is ironic about the way of the king? I mean, what is ironic about the king and Jonah? As you compare them, what is the irony between them two? What do you think? Now, the, the king hears the word, and what happens? Well, Jonah didn't think it would make any difference if he went, and yet it's almost like the king changed on a dime. He responded right away. Yeah, so Jonah, he, he, he didn't think it would work, but he even took it further. He... he Ran the other way. <laughs> running. That's <laughs> my running trade. <laughs> you you was running away, right? He was going south. He's going south to the Mediterranean, uh, uh, to, to, to Joppa, uh, on his way to Tarshish on that boat, right? He ran away, right? And uh, the king, I mean, he boasted all the power in the world. Just, I mean, the irony of that is alarm. It just, it's so, uh, what's the word? It's so amazing to me. That you would think if you didn't know this story, you'd be like, yeah, the king would probably hold his ground and say, I'm the king of this land and no one's going to tell me what to do. And Jonah would probably submit. But no, it's actually the opposite around. And we see how the word of the Lord works. It even works in the most unlikeliest of ways. Davey said it. Oh, this won't work, Jonah said, right? Oh, we're not going to go here because they're not going to, they're not even worth it. They're full of pagans and they're not going to believe. And um, I think it's it's important, um, and all the false gods that they trust, right? Uh, uh, but but here we see that um, he doesn't run the king, right? He he stays and he repents. And the Ninevites convert from paganism. Now he says right there again. What does it say in verse? Uh, actually, no. 
He says, uh, sorry about that. Though, I guess my next question would be, what is the deal with the beasts? Why the beasts? Why are the beasts and the animals, why are they not to feed or drink on water? What's that about? I don't know. They didn't sin. Yeah, that's right. Good. Good. But what's that about? What do you think? Why the animals? Do you think, did they worship the animals? Was that a, like a false god of some sort? Um, not, I don't think so. I, I think with, uh, and I think, again, Nancy brought it up this morning, uh, but she said, she said the word total. I think that's what I have in my notes right here. I, I circled it. It says total. Oh, totality, right? Uh, the totality of the land. So, so it shows their extreme repentance or their genuine repentance to what they had done, that even their own possessions, like their animals, they would do what? They would also uh, be covered with sackcloth and ashes, right? And this is the depravity to which they were mourning, but yet in great... Uh, oh, Carrie, did you have... We... Um, just another comment on the animals. My, my study Bible says that in, in Persia, animals were often part of the mourning process. So if they're repenting, truly repenting and mourning of what they were doing, somehow they, they involved animals in that mourning process. Very good. Very good. I, I think that's that's definitely uh, a great point about the animals. And I think in that same realm, when we know that everything comes from God, everything we have, um, there we are relenting everything to our Lord in that repentance. And, and that's what they're doing, right? Uh, they're not just doing this because they're afraid. They're doing this because of faith. They're doing this because they're they're. What does it say right there? It says, and let them call out mightily to God. Call out. What is the calling out? The complete dependence upon the Father, right? It's a humble submitting to his word. And I, I, I say that because, you know, the word, I mean, people in this, in this world, um, I know on Facebook is always a, a time of great stress as you read over all the posts and everything. <laughs> but one of my high school friends that I barely know, that I don't really, you know, we're Facebook friends, but we don't, you know, the Facebook friends that you barely talk to. I know she was saying um, on a public post, uh, she said, um, I'm, looking for a, I'm looking for a church that is progressive, social justice, and ultra-liberal. And <laughs> so I'm like, I didn't say anything, but I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's what people look for in a church. I guess. Social justice, ultra-progressive liberal, I think. Uh, and she put that out there. Do you know of any in Long Beach, right? Because I used to live over there, you know? But uh, anyways, but I guess it reminded me that people are looking for certain things, even that. Uh, uh, and Asked you that question? She was asking you? No, just her public posts. So, um, but it just made me think, like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is what people are looking for when it comes to church right but calling out mightily to god and we see what the word does here he says let everyone turn right mm -hmm. that repentance metanoia that 
that turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. All right, so when we talk about violence, what is that? What's the violence in his hands? What's that about? So we talked about animals, but what about the violence now? Anyone got a clue on that? Violence. I had to double take that one as I saw that, but what does... Well, the king probably ruled with an iron hand. You know, he, he, uh, he didn't take no for an answer. So I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about the king's leadership style. Authoritarian. Authoritarian, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the military, like his, uh, I know there's stories, I forgot, I was looking at my commentary, and uh, it said they were known in their military conquests to impale, impale the adversary, and literally, brutally, put a pole in their chest and stake them to the ground. I mean, it was like a barbaric form of conquest that they would, you know, literally just bludgeon the enemy or their adversary and do it so so uh egregiously this violence was on their hands and um i think this is uh they very well know that they are uh in they deserve the wrath of god they they do deserve it by their own merits right they they know that uh they deserve nothing but the wrath of god they they they, they should by the, what they have done i mean if it was contingent upon their works they very well know um, so this was all out there, but I think verse 9 is very important. Now, someone could read that, verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, what does that show about, about their, their position or their posture? I guess of where they're at here in in the position uh what does who knows what like will the Dodgers win the World Series who knows is that what he's talking about here <laughs> uh, what what does who knows what does that really indicate about their their place does do you know what I'm do you know what I mean there the question I'm trying to ask their actions were not going to lead to a certain outcome they could they're not driving God's response. Exactly, right? Uh, so they're not just uh, like that whole, I think that saying quid pro quo, right? Like if we do something, we will get something in return, Return, right? That's, that's not what they're looking out for here. Basically, who knows is let God's will be done. And who knows is, is that simply, this is the Lord's call. He, we are under his, his care, and uh, what he does, that he will do, and we trust. And there they are humbly submitting, right? It's not some type of loophole thing where it's a, you know, you've heard of the prosperity gospel, right? Oh, yeah. I don't want to downplay any names, but um, I don't know, first name, uh, initial J, last name, initial O. But um, uh, they would say, if you believe, you will receive these riches. So people in their humanness, of course, if you're human, uh, okay, if I believe, I get this. Now, uh, and that is riches and, and all those prosperity worldly things. Now, this is not what they're doing here. They're actually leaving it into the Lord's hands. 
that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Um, okay, so this is a question I have for you. Uh, you. You might hear this out of some people in your life, or you might hear this on TV or, or wherever it may be, but this phrase, if you give your heart to God, then he will forgive you. If you give your heart to God, then he will forgive you. What is, what is, what is right or wrong about that statement? Anyone have a thought on that? When we talk about transactional faith, right? In a sense of, oh, we'll get something. But what is, what is this saying? I guess my first question is, well, what is it saying? It's something we're doing. It's saying that if we're something we can do to control God, to have God do something we want. So if we give our heart, which doesn't necessarily, that doesn't really seem like a, but anyway, it's our action going up to God. You know, I, and, and that's, that's the legalistic part, but I think even deeper, that word then, then he will forgive you. Now, does Christ die for the world? Yes. Yes, 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 he does, right? He forgives all the world of their sin. I always talk about my mother giving me socks for Christmas, right? <laughs> no matter how much I liked it or hated it when I was 10 years old, I still received socks, and it wouldn't change. It was always going to be socks. It was sitting there in the cover, in my drawer, and it would always be socks, right? Uh, and that's like the gospel, not socks, but that this gift doesn't change. It is what it is by what God has already done. It's not like he, he does die for the sins of the world. And I think it's important that people know that, but rather it's the people's rejection in their human nature of sin to naturally to rebel against that very gift, right? Um, I think a lot of times this, if you give your heart then, it's a 50-50, right? That's a 50-50 right there, right? And that is, uh, when we talk about 50-50, that tree of 50-50 will become their Christian life as well, a 50-50. Like if I do this, then I will get this or... Christ Jesus did this for me, so now I have to finish it off on my part and do the next 50%. And that is not the case here. And I think for the Ninevites, who knows, is a great Lutheran answer. <laughs> that is a great Lutheran answer. I love Lutheranism. You know why? Because I can say I don't know, and that's okay. Right? I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but... We only trust what scripture says in all the gray areas. We're not trying to answer for God. We just say, I don't know. But what we do know is what his word says. And I think that is such a great picture of faith as they're trusting in God's will rather than trying to manipulate and trying to get the best out of the situation, right? They're submitting under his care, Apostles' Creed, Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, always under the Father, Article 1, that we live as his children, um, as he is our true Father, not out of any merit or worthiness in us, but out of his fatherly divine goodness, right, from the Catechism. 
Uh, but um, this is what that faith is all about. Uh, and there we see it, right? Um, so as we always say in the Bible and our liturgy from the from First John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is the life of faith, not a transactional faith, but one that is given to us by his free grace. And I think that's very important um, to dwell upon. Okay, uh, verse 10. Verse 10, if someone could read that. Okay. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. All right. So uh, remember when uh, the golden calf happened in Exodus 32? Uh, mm -hmm. What did Moses do there for the people? He inter... Right? He interceded for the people. He, he, uh, he, he asked the Lord to please basically give them another chance, right? Don't rain your wrath on them for, do, for, for, for their wrongdoing. And by the Lord's patience and grace, he salvaged them that day. That day, we know in the future that first generation never made it to the promised land, right? Because of their true obstinance of being afraid and trying to rebel against Moses time and time again. And finally, he had enough the next generation would make it, right? But here too, uh, what does God do? He saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to, to them, and he did not do it. So right here, uh, what did the Lord uh, do to the sailors in chapter one? He, did he let them die? Did he save them? Did he deliver them, the sailors? They were saved from the storm. Yeah, they were delivered, right? Uh, the Ninevites, were they delivered? Yes. Yes, yes right? Uh, this is all by the Lord's word. Uh, was, <laughs> um, was Jonah delivered as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, right? Uh, and Jonah, ironically, <laughs> I mean, ironically, the one... I think the one who was closest to God took, and, he, and we'll see in chapter four. I mean, he, he gets upset again, right? But the, the most pagan of people were the first ones to relent and turn. And Jonah took some time, uh, and, and there he learned quickly through the period of time where he figured it out through the whale that finally, I think in chapter three, but yet chapter four, it turns again. Uh, and we talked about last week about simultaneously sinner and saint as he struggles continually in his flesh uh, with God's will, right? Uh, and this sign of deliverance is, uh, someone can read 2 Corinthians 5.17 for me real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Um, I've got it. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We see that turn right there, right? Mm. A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A, a picture of deliverance. And that is you. You are delivered. Uh, your, your, your being by the redemption of Christ. Uh, new create in Christ, in Christ. I think we talked about that this morning, didn't we? In those devotions, I forget. You know, I always, I don't even, this mind, my kid, I know Abe's on here, but he'd say, dad, you don't remember anything. <laughs> Cause I always, I always say, you know, if you do it one more time, you'll see what's going to happen. And they always test me and remember dad, what I did the other day. I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> so, like, see, you don't remember. Anyways, <laughs> um, the point is, is that, what was the point? I forgot. But the point, <laughs> the point is here is that what we talk about in Christ, oh yeah, in Christ, that is baptismal language there in 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ, how are we in Christ? By the water and word of baptism, delivered by his promise, by the very word, right? God change. He changes the verdict for all of these people by his grace, right? He changes your verdict of guilty to innocent as Jesus is sent for you to the cross to answer and to take your place and to give you the in Christ new creation deliverance as well. At the end of the day, the penitent life always ends on Jesus, and that is our great peace as we continue to walk in this way. Do we fall short? Yes. By the very word, the word calls us out. John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts, comforts, and judges, right? Judges the evil one, comforts the righteous, and gives us that righteousness, but first and foremost, convicts us of our sin, cutting to the heart. That is what the word does. And as we hear it, as Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness. Peter did it in, in Acts 2, repentance and forgiveness. Uh, there, too, as a church, we continue to preach that very word of the long gospel. Because by that very word, there is that turn. And that turn is relenting from disaster. The greatest disaster we have is not COVID, right? The greatest disaster is eternal condemnation and eternal death, right? That is our great ailment of all of humanity and there christ is to deliver us uh, by his very word and we see the people of nineveh here as the word would reach them and would save them right so again it is the lord who changes that very verdict by the preached word of god that's why i always ask people and my mentor always asks me how is the word how is prayer right uh, he always asks me those questions every time he calls. And he's so nice because he calls me just out of the blue, making sure I'm okay. That's always, it's always good. I, I, I'm, I get really, um, what's the word? <laughs> I get really, uh, I tear up when he does that. I'm like, oh, that's very nice of you to think of me. But anyways, uh, he always asks those questions just to see if I'm doing good because the word is everything. And, and that's why I think it's important that everyone continues in the word in this time as we're studying the Bible. Because there we, like the Ninevites, are, are, are restored and delivered as he turns us to his very word. And at the end of the day, it always ends on Jesus and the promise that he would relent from that disaster in our lives. Now, in conclusion here, uh, uh, what do I write? Oh, yes. Uh, 
You would think the Ninevites would turn from Jonah's word, but with great surprise, the Lord's will be done. It says in 1 Timothy, real quick, what is the Lord's will? The Lord's will is this. 1 Timothy, I'll read it for you real quick. 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. It is this. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That is our God, our, his desire, and that desire is shown through the crucifixion and the empty tomb. Right? That is the measure he goes to save us from our sin. That is our God, the God of grace. Sorry, I get in. Do I get into this too much? I don't know. I'm starting to sweat because I'm like my <laughs> my uh my my joy of this uh but this is our word that we have and um again uh uh this is what the ninevites were were kind of uh their their life their their sinfulness this is where the word brought them to their knees right our sinful nature always wants to do what when we hear that word of the law let's say it tries to go away and says no don't want any part of that uh people go to church that says speaks of sin oh no we don't go there right that's too dirty i don't want to hear that just want to hear a good message right let's not broach on all the sensitive stuff and all the deep-seated evil desires of the heart let's just kind of keep it on the surface right keep it clean and let us be on our way right uh, and again what is the church here to do? It's the care, it's to care for the soul, right? To bring you to Christ and to give you the comfort of Christ and his promises. So here we see the Ninevites, they hear the word and boom, they fall to their knee and hear the word is. And there we see the dynamic from their word to God's word, from their control to God's control, to their power in the king, right? To now God's power. And here we see the change, that metano that change, uh, that turn, just like St. Paul, all by the word of God. So I, I think the next time you talk to someone who, let's say, is, uh, has deserted the faith or is a little lukewarm to the faith or indifferent to the faith, be confident in what the word of God says and trust in what that word says, knowing that if the Ninevites can repent, St. Paul can turn and be the greatest evangelist and greatest, one of the greatest writers of the Bible here. Um, God's word does work to convert and to convict and to comfort, right? all by the word. The word reached the king, the, the greatest of people who shouldn't have relented by his own human authority, but yet he does because this word is that powerful, not only for people don't, who, who don't know it, but even for each and every one of us in our daily persevering of the faith. The, the, the word and the power of God's word is so important to study and meditate and pray upon and hear and listen and continue in that pattern of word and prayer life as we continue to walk in these times. And I can't emphasize that enough of what we're facing and how the word is our spiritual defense against the enemies, the principalities of the world, the forces of darkness, all these things. Um, as this word continues to lead us, uh, we see that story here reminding us of how he does turn, the word does for the Ninevites um, and for the sailors and even for Jonah who still struggles.
by this very word. And that's us too, right? I tell myself, sounds good, right? This word, of course, of course, of course. When you go home, when you're on your drive, you know, when you're uh, doing anything, errands around the house, or you get in an argument, or, or you have an upset day, right? Or you get filled with worries and anxieties, and you don't know what to do as if you're living all alone in this. You know, there, you go back to the word and say, wait, the Lord is with me. And he is my father as I'm covered by his blood. Um, this is deliverance, and this is my peace. And this is where I repent and rest in the promises of our Lord. And that is the gospel. So uh, what time is it right now? Is it way past your bedtime? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, it's late. Sorry. Yes, Karen. Question. Question. Were they, did they fast for 40 days? said in 40 days. It doesn't, it doesn't say. You can't go without water. You can't. No. <laughs> Nurse Carrie, I know. I, I know. You're always, I know you're so, you're so alert to the body. I know that's, <laughs> we need people like that because well, that's great. I but, guess it doesn't matter, but I was just thinking about the whole 40 thing again. I mean. Yeah, I mean, we see Jesus, you know, in the, in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Uh, he was, uh, he was without, he was hungry. He was empty. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I guess the point is, is that they did, yeah. they did fast sackcloth and ashes, and, and and they were humbly repenting, in that posture of faith. So, um, but yes, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, uh, and that's okay. Who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, all right, all right. Well, I guess we'll end there tonight. Thank you for being uh, a little bit longer with me tonight. I know we always do that on Wednesday nights, but. Uh, uh, any any other thoughts before we close? All right, all right. Well, why don't we um why don't we pray together the Lord's prayer, right? All in one voice. I know with Zoom it's kind of complicated, but just, <laughs> let's just try it, right? All in one voice, the Lord's prayer. Let us begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Oh, before I forget, uh, say hi to, uh, say goodnight to Chris. Oh, goodnight. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Chris. Hi, Chris. Thank you for the music. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Well, everyone, always a blessing to see you. And, uh, you know, I, I sincerely do miss all of you. It's ridiculous how much I miss you guys. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> God be with you, and uh, may you all have a good night. And uh, yeah, may you go in God's peace. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, good night, good night, good night everyone. Bye. Good night, Abe. Good night, Abe. Good night, Abe. Bye, Abe. Good night, Abe. He chooses not to speak. <laughs> <All right. laughs>
uh, carry 